All right, well, it's finally starting to feel like fall. Uh, my family and I, we've been privileged to live all over different parts of the country. And uh, when we lived in Austin just a couple of years ago, you knew it was fall because everyone wore burnt orange. It was just the fall football season had started and everyone just wore burnt orange. The whole city, it was just crazy and, uh, for, for Texas football. All right, so everyone, not just regular orange, but you, you just, you could tell. We lived in Colorado, it was all the farmers, and um, it was farm season, and so usually the farmers were missing church because that was harvest time, and just kind of doing everything they could possibly to get it out. It was just uh, the, the change of weather was, was significant in Colorado, and um, here, this is, this, is, this is how we know it changed like 20 degrees, and it's going to get hot again by the end of the week. It's just kind of, we got our fall here for the, for the middle, for, for a few days. And that's about it. Um, does anybody have done anything fall-related? Does anybody just said, yeah, we went and did pumpkin patch. We went and, I went and bought a Starbucks with pumpkin spice latte, something like that. <laughs> All right, that's, that's about it. That's, our, that's how we celebrate fall here in Houston, I'm discovering. It's, it's not, not much. Um, although I have been enjoying, enjoying this cooler weather. It is much better. I mowed my lawn and barely sweat yesterday. I mean, that was, that was great. And um, otherwise, it's just kind of you lose weight. You just feel yourself losing weight as you do activities like that and um, during the summer. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 this morning. And while you turn there, children, you can be dismissed. And you're going to go out these doors over here to your left, my right. And uh, Mr. David Ware is going to take them back. And the Kennys are helping today. And so, kids, you can head out there and go enjoy your time during junior church. Yeah, thank you. First Corinthians chapter 6, and we're going to use these couple of verses, not go through them as, as we did last week, but rather use them uh, for a truth found in them, and um, then we'll be in some other scriptures as well. But First Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 19 and 20, right there at the end of the chapter, verses number 19 and 20. He says, What know ye not? that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, he asks, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And let's pray before we do dive into this. And um, as I pray, would you pray just quietly there to yourself that God would just come speak to your heart and help you to take home whatever he needs you to take home here today and speak to you in the way that he needs to. Father in heaven, our Lord, our God, we thank you so much for the privilege it is to be able to gather on a Sunday morning and to have this time in a church, to have this time in your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, who for believers comes now and dwells within us, resides in our hearts, and would seek today to speak to us. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that hearts would be open and receptive, I pray that you would fill me and use me as your mouthpiece, as your tool, simply to speak truth, to encourage, to challenge, and that each one of us, with open hearts, Lord, would grow here from your word this morning. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name, amen. Have you ever thought about how many choices you make a day on average? They say, I don't know who they are, but I read this, they say, that this is some research group somewhere, that the brain makes about 35,000 choices every single day. 35,000 choices our brains process every single day. Cornell University did a study 
that suggested that people make about 200 conscience, conscious decisions every single day just concerning food. 200 decisions are consciously made by your brain just concerning your diets. Which would lead me to believe that we make hundreds of choices every day that we think through and then act upon. Now, some people are great at making decisions. They know how to compare facts. They weigh possible outcomes. They determine the value, the reward. They're able to process all that information and make a conscious choice that, yes, I will have the ranch dressing with my salad. All right? Some people are great at making that decision. Others, though sometimes take a little longer to debate. And they go within themselves and they're weighing out the merits and the cons. And before they know it, they've completely forgot even the original decision that they were trying to decide upon. I'm married to one of those kind of people. I'm just kidding, all right? Robert Frost, in his well-known poem, crystallized the difficulty of decision. In the first two stanzas of his poem, The Road Not Taken, you're probably familiar with it. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both, and be one traveler, long I stood, and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that, the passing there had warned them really about the same. In overcoming the difficulty of decision, which is something I think a lot of us struggle with, those major decisions, those comparing things that are going to, to affect life, not, not what kind of dressing you're going to have on a salad, but what, something that's going to affect perhaps you, perhaps your family, perhaps employees or your business, or perhaps your livelihood, those kinds of decisions. That's what we want to talk about here today. We see there's been many kinds of tactics, interesting tactics that people have chosen and, and used to help them make decisions. Steve Jobs famously wore a black turtleneck, blue jeans, and sneakers every single day so that he would have to make less decisions every day. So that part of his brain would not be strained one little less amount over what he had to wear. So he just had a wardrobe of the same outfits. Literally, that's what he did. He had a French designer or a Japanese designer design this outfit. He bought 20 of those turtlenecks. And that's what he wore every single day, and every couple of years he ordered a new set of them. President Obama used to limit many of his email responses to one of three words, agree, disagree, or discuss. It saved a lot of work having to figure out how to answer something properly or how to say something to not offend somebody, but rather just three words. And that's where many of his email responses contained just one of those words. What if I told you I could solve the decision-making dilemma that paralyzes us, that wears on us, and that for so many of us stresses us out every single day. Not because I've discovered some great fountain of wisdom and I'm going to now tell you everything that I know and hawk my book on the back table before we go. It's nothing like that, all right? But rather... I'm going to be able to give you such wisdom because it's found here in the Scriptures. God did not design us nor desire for us to live a stressed out, worrisome, fearful life. 
But because of that decision that perhaps is waiting for you when you leave this building this afternoon, or that you know will be there on your desk tomorrow morning when you go to work, or that you have to make before 2019 ends, and there's some decision that you know is there on the back of your mind that keeps you up at night, is affecting your eating habits, is causing some division and strife in your family, whatever it is, there are these decisions that just eat us apart, that paralyze us, and that is not how God desires for any one of us to live. And the, God's process of building us into making us and conforming us into him, His image he provides in that a tranquility. The Bible calls it a peace that passes all understanding that every Christian should have as we go through life. Uh, it's, it's one of the fruits of the Spirit, one of the things that the Holy Spirit who dwells in a Christian's heart is producing, is making. Not that we have to make, but that He makes. It's one of the things that He makes in us is this peace, is this tranquility of mind. That then overrides overrides the difficulty of decisions, whether it's the small ones that affect us in the minutia of life, or whether it's those decisions that are major, that affect us, or those close to us, even the livelihood or our way of life for years and years to come. Back in these verses, if you would look back at them, we see a simple truth of responsibility and a truth about trust. A truth about responsibility and a truth about trust. It's right in the middle of the two verses at the end of verse 19 into verse 20. He says, And ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. Basically, the pressure of decision is removed. Why? Because the pressure of outcome is removed. For someone who is trusting God and belongs to God, we've been bought with a price, and someone who's living in that faith is recognizing that, we no longer have to fear the decision because we no longer have to fear the outcome. That's what paralyzes us, truly. Maybe some don't like having to choose between one or two things, but the reason you don't like choosing between one or two things is because you're afraid that you're going to choose the wrong thing that you're going to end up on the wrong end of what you should have done, or this would have been better, or this made things worse. For someone who trusts God, who belongs to God, who is living in the faith that we are gods, then we can live in the, the truth and the knowledge that the outcome is His. The outcome, the what's going to happen, the, the fear of the unknown is known by God. That, that, that what we are scared of, God is already fully aware of. And so as Christians, we, 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 we worry, we fret. As human beings, we worry and fret. And as Christians, we shouldn't have to. We shouldn't have to worry about that. Because God has, has already orchestrated. God already sees into the future. God already knows every possible outcome and what the very best life that He could possibly do for every one of us. He has a perfect plan, His perfect will, that He wills for us to follow. By fearing the decision, it reveals to us, to you and your hearts, the lack of faith. I can't see that. I'm not accusing anybody or saying this is what I think about you. 
But if you've been acknowledging and following along and like me saying, yes, sometimes I'm afraid to make a decision. Sometimes these things keep me up. Sometimes these things are hard to process. I think that's a lot of us. I'm guessing, but I think it is. Then all we're saying about ourselves is that, you know what? I'm revealing that I don't have faith in God. I don't really believe that I am His that I'm a child of His, that He bought me and paid for me, that He now seeks to own my life, seeks to control my life, seeks to make the decisions for us, and trusting that His decisions are best. It just reveals that. It's a red flag in our hearts. And so if that's that's us, then that's something we want to change here today. That's something we want to get right. Say, okay, I realize that, okay, I have this fear. I have this paralyzing feature of my decision-making. I want to give that to God so that I can trust Him and not have that fear, not be so worried, not be so stressed, but rather be able just to trust and walk with God. Go back to, um, uh, let, me, let, me, let me go ahead now. Paul here is writing in, this, in these verses of the principle of redemption. All right, it speaks of the idea that God purchased us. We sold ourselves into sin, which was our huge mistake. We had no recourse. We had no way to free ourselves from this sin, right? Sin is what condemns us to hell. Sin is what is uh, taking us with it to hell. It's, It's what God condemned. It's what God damned and sent, all right, for eternity to hell. And in our sin, because we are sin, we are in chains and bondage to it. We sold ourselves into it. And so that's why Jesus came. Jesus came, he died on the cross, and purchased us with his blood. The Bible tells us it was his blood that was shed. That was the payment for the sin, all right, that death had to take place. It was his blood that purchased, that was flowing down the cross of Calvary, that allowed us to be saved. And as a sinner, we are condemned to eternity without Christ in hell, and so he offers us now this free gift, the gift of forgiveness, It's the idea that we have sinned against God, and so He offers forgiveness to us. We have wronged God in our sin. We have rebelled against Him as Satan did in heaven. So likewise has humanity. And so in our rebellion against God, He did not condemn us. He condemned our sin. He loved us, came to die on the cross for us, and now He packaged forgiveness in a nice, simple little gift that all we have to simply do is receive. You cannot work for it. You cannot be religious for it. You cannot do enough in the amount of time that you have on earth that could ever possibly pay your own sin debts. That's why Jesus had to come. He lived sinless. He lived perfect, a holy life. And so it was a spotless lamb that was sacrificed for your sins. Jesus died on the cross so that we could have eternal life. It's been paid for with no strings attached, no effort, no works, religious or otherwise, are required. And you say, well, that sounds too easy. If I really owe a sin debt, if I really am a sinner, that sounds too easy that all I have to do is receive it. And I would simply say to that that that's what grace is. Grace is undeserved. It's unmerited. It's what God came to do for us out of His love to us. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. This grace took the form of Jesus Christ taking the payment for sin for us. In verse number 20, it says that we were bought with a price. With a price. A payment was made. 
showing God's love, showing how much he loved us, that he was willing to sacrifice to have us accepted back into his family. He was willing to give himself, to die himself. So he paid for us with a price. We're simply the goods of that transaction. We're what Christ wanted. We're simply the goods, a purchase made out of God's love for his creation. It says of the church in Acts 20, verse 28, the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. In Hebrews 9, verse 12, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into a holy place, having obtained, obtained it says, eternal redemption for us. And in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by your tradition of your fathers. He's saying it was not something that you did. It was not the works of religion that was found such as in the Old Testament, the law and the, the sacrifices that they had to follow. It was not paid with silver and gold. It was not a transaction of monetary value. But rather it says in verse number 19 of 1 Peter 1, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. What Scripture establishes for us is that God's mean of salvation for us. That's what Scripture is telling us. This is how God has made it available. He paid the debt not through religious tradition or the temporal worth of gold or silver, but through the precious blood of Christ. And we have to remember this was Jesus' decision to go. The choice was made that He would go to the cross for us. And it says in the Bible that Jesus wrestled with this. When he was in the garden, he wrestled with God. He prayed, if it be possible, let this cup, or he means by that a task, let this cup pass from me. He was wrestling with God over whether he had to do this, but then he says afterward, I mean, after you can imagine that just the, the decision process there, he says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt his decision was god do i have to and then in that prayer he says nevertheless not as i will but as thou will in that prayer he comes to a peace with god's perfect will in that prayer he comes to a peace that he knows that god and this is this is god i know jesus is god but he's praying to the Father. They are three. They are different, but yet the same. He's praying to God, knowing that God knows the perfect plan. God knows the very best way. And by obeying God, by going to the cross, he had peace in his decision. Jesus was subservient to the Father's will, and so, he, uh, and so what his Father said, he complied with. The decision-making process was diminished of all the difficulty and the stress and the anguish. It was let go. Put yourself there in the shoes of Jesus, anguishing over a decision, anguishing over something that had to be done. And what was it that allowed him to let all of that go? What was it that allowed all of that to pass? Was that he chose to trust God. He chose to trust he said, I'm not going to do this my way, not as I will, but rather, God, I'm going to do this your way as thou will. It's simple, but man, we struggle with it. 
We don't want to do it that way. I mean, I stand in front of a group of people who are experienced, who have lived life, who have made some wrong decisions, who have made some good decisions, who have, who have been matured sometimes um, 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 without, without, by, not, by, not by your decision. Things that have happened to you, things that have taken place that have taught you lessons, that have given you wisdom. And so now this decision comes before you and you think, I can make this decision properly. I can take this step knowing what is next. I can do this on my own. But yet in the back of our minds, we're fearful. We're struggling with it because we don't know. We can't truly know. Not one of us in this room knows the future. Not one of us in this room can control every outcome, every possibility, knows what's going to happen, knows how things are going to take place. Not one of us can. And so as confident as we are and as trusting in the process and as trusting in our, in our experiences tell us to be confident, as, as, as much as that is, we truly can't know. But how many of us are making decisions on a daily basis without ever consulting the God who does know? It's happening every single day that we make decisions we are doing things with our life, living certain ways, without ever consulting the Father. And we wonder why we're dealing with the stress, we're wondering why we're dealing with the uncertainty, we're wondering why we've made bad decisions and why we are the way we are, or why things are working out the way things are working out. And the Bible simply tells us, you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God. Let him be the decision maker because he knows the outcomes of every decision. God wants us to let him have control over our steps. To be filled with him, we are to be freed then from the worries and difficulties of difficult decisions. And we don't know enough even to know the outcome. Uh, when we lived in Austin, we used to go to a creek to play. And this creek had a, a it was, it was man-made, but it was very small. Just so somebody had cemented in some rocks at one part of the creek. And it was a good 20 feet. I mean, I don't know, whatever, whatever this is from the platform to the edge of the platform. is about this far apart. And um, some rocks had been placed, and so the water just kind of went over it. When it had been raining a lot, it would kind of pour over. And, and then it, it, it kind of get into the uh, late, late, late spring when it hadn't started raining yet, and it was just kind of starting to dry up. It, just kinda, it was a natural spring not too far up the creek. And so it was very much based on how much water fell. And so at those times, though, that the water would be going pretty good, um, it was still high enough, the rocks were, that, that you could cross and go back and forth on each side of this creek. And so when we lived there, the boys were all much younger, and um, they'd want to play in the creek, and they'd want to try to climb on these rocks. Well, there was a lot of moss, and a lot of algae and things had been growing on these. They're very, very slippery, all right? And, of course, the water's flowing and all that. Now, for me, it wasn't a big deal. I could walk, and even if I fell off, it was only just a couple of feet down, and I would catch myself, and it wouldn't be a big deal if I fell. But for a three-year-old to fall, I mean, that, 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 could, that could hurt him really bad. Uh, it would be very, very dangerous for, for a youngster to be going across these rocks. And so I would go, and I would step across, and I would take that first step onto a rock that I knew was secure, and I could step on that. And then I would reach back my hand, and I would reach back to try to grab one of my boys in order to help them take their next step onto the rock that I was standing on. 
And then I would turn around and I would look to another spot. And sometimes I would even have to pick them up by their arms and right there under their shoulder. And I would pick them up and place them right where I wanted them to be because that's where I knew they could stand securely. The water was moving. The rocks were slippery. And there were certain spots that I knew that I could put them because I knew that it would be safe for them. Now the water's raging all around them. I mean, for a three-year-old, it might as well have been just roaring rapids. All right, the water's going really quick. But I knew that if I picked them up, I could put them in a certain spot that would keep them safe. And then I could look, and I would see another spot that I could move to, and I would grab another one of my boys, and I would, step by step, take them across this creek without, of course, I would not fall in because it wasn't that big a deal for me but I would do it with my boys who they would never have been able to even get past a rock or two on their own. But yet I could take them and I could securely place them on each step that they needed to take to get all the way across that creek. Had they at any time decided that I'm going to do this by myself, they probably would have just slipped and just flipped right over and conked their head on a rock. That would have been probably the first outcome. Or they would have stepped somewhere that wasn't a secure rock, and they would have stepped on something that would have caused them to tumble, to fall over. Or they would have stepped right into some, um, some, some water that would have just pushed them right over the edge and flipped them right off the waterfall, and it just would not have been good in any situation. Of course, they were fearful. They were unsure because they could not see, nor did they know exactly what was ahead for them in order to be able to get from one side of that creek to the other. But they had a father who did know. They had me who could see everything ahead. I knew exactly where I could place them. I knew the outcome of every place that I could place them, that if I placed them there, the water could not push them off. If I put them there, that rock was not going to slip. If I put them there, there was no algae for them to fall off of. I knew every outcome because I could see it all. For them, it wasn't that way. I think we get the picture. Where are those little boys going through life? And God wants us to experience this. He wants us to go across because he's got something wonderful. He's got something so grand. And so he wants to take us and he wants us to bring us across. But there's the world and there's sin and everything else is just kind of a part of this. It's all just a part of life now because this is what the human race is made of it. And so God says, I can take this situation that you're in and I can pick you up and I can put you right where you need to be. And then when I get you there, I'm going to take you and I'm going to walk you to the next step because that's right where you need to be. And when you get there, I can take you to the next step and that's right where you need to be. And you're looking around going, but yeah, I'm scared. But yeah, what if, what if, what if? And we're looking around going, there's too much danger. And what do we do in that? Sometimes we just decide, well, I'm going to go off by myself. And we flip and we tumble and we hurt ourselves in the creek and we wonder, man, why isn't this working out? And God's standing there saying, I, I didn't tell you to go there. I wanted you to follow me right here. We realize that, right? We get that? that that's, 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 it, it's simple, but that's the Christian life. It really is that simple. It, 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 the Christian life, and, 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 and by that I mean all lives should be in the Christian life. God wants all of us to be saved because he wants to do this for us. And a life without God is wandering, and they're just, they're stuck. They don't know where to go. But as Christians, we look at this and go, I don't know what to step on. I don't know where to go. I don't know what's next. I don't know what's best. Maybe I'll just stand here. And that's what Daniel would have done. 
My littlest one, he would have just stood there. I'm too scared to go across. He was too fearful to take those steps like his big brothers were. Man, how many of us are stuck there? Fearful to take a step. Fearful because of the fallen ones. Fearful because we've already made that mistake. Fearful because we don't know. We're not strong enough. We can't make it. And God's just standing there going, come on, son. Come on. You just grab my hand. I'll take you across. That's what God wants to do for you. The passage teaches us that we are His. We belong to Him. He paid a high price for us. His death on the cross was no small thing. What He went through, what He endured, was unimaginable. And literally, His life was given for you, for me, for for humanity. He died for all of us. It shows the significance of what he, he thought he was buying, if that makes sense. Now, without God, I know that we're nothing. All right, we're just, we're just one of a lot, and that, that God is everything, and he wants to do everything through us. But to God, that's how much we were worth, that he was willing to do that. I talked about it last week, what the parable tells us, had there been just one, he would have gone out. It's left the 99 to go out and search for just one. You mean a significant amount to God. If you're sitting here going, yeah, but I've done this, and I've gone through this, and this isn't fair, and this is... Can I just challenge you? And I can't say that this is true, but I can challenge you with it that maybe it's perhaps it's because we're not trusting God, but rather we're trying to make it across the creek on our own. We're trying to take those steps and we keep falling and we keep scratching ourselves and we keep getting all these scars because we're trying to make it through life and we're trying to make it step by step by step without just simply trusting God and God's just standing there going, no, don't do, oh, now I got to get you out and he pulls us out of that and he sets us back up on a rock as Psalm 40 tells us and he's ready then to take us then back on the journey. Okay, follow me. I'm going to take you back through this. And then all of a sudden we say, no, I'm going to do it this way. This is what I think is best, or this is what I think is right. So we trip and fall again. But God simply wants to see in us is that faith, that faith to submit to God's better plan. If we submit to the Father, if we submit to His guiding, if we submit to His leading, if we submit in obedience, that's when God can actually Use us. That's when God can actually lead us. In our submittance, we benefit in reaping the reward of a child of God who walks in his ways. In Jeremiah 29, God tells his people, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. He knows what's there. He knows what's at the end. He wants to give you that. Do you have faith that that's enough? Do you have faith that that's worth it? Then simply trust God and stop trying on your own. Faith doesn't stop with simply believing that God exists. All right, you look around the world and you say God has to exist. This has to be put together by a, by a supreme creator, by an infinite creator who could think of and create all these wonderful things that surround us in this world. We look at the evidence of God and say, okay, I believe that there is an all-powerful being who created all of this, but that's not simply where faith has to stop, but rather 
faith is believing in God's omnipotence. It is one thing to know that God wants the best possible life for you, but it is another thing completely to trust the will of God to give you that best possible life. To trust the will of God. Not just, oh, I believe in God and I believe that God's wonderful, but rather I'm going to believe that God's plan is best for me. Man, that's a huge step of faith. That's a huge step of faith to say, okay, I'm going to believe that God has the best plan. We don't always know what that plan's going to involve. But to believe that plan is huge. That's the foundation of true and real faith. Faith involves conforming our lifestyles, our beliefs, our, our wills, our desires into a mind more like Christ, a heart of Christ, as the Bible says. And believing that that is simply just better. Having a heart of humility to think of others first, a heart of love, letting grace rule our interactions with others, to have a heart of sacrifice, understanding that this life is temporary and that we are preparing for a life eternal. Christ in his life proved that God is enough. He proved that God's ways are better and that living a contrary life, yes, it is radical, it is different, but it is also incredible to live a life contrary to the way the world tells us to live it. Jesus gave his life to give us life and in him he challenges us to live for him. Let me give you just a short story and we'll close here. Um, I guess a little earlier this morning. Um, my wife and I met in Bible college. And um, out in California, we were studying and training to go into ministry to serve the Lord in that way. And um, that's where we met. That's where we got married. And we get, and got married in the summer of 2009. And within a week after our honeymoon, we were serving the Lord in a small church in Colorado, serving there as an assistant pastor and as an administrator of the school or as a teacher. My wife was teaching as well and, and just a, a wonderful church, wonderful people, still many of good friends of ours there. And we served there for a few years until the Lord then led us to Austin. And in Austin, we went to a church that had just gone through some, some transition, some difficulty, we believe God had called us there and led us there to kind of lead this church forward to be a part of what God wanted to do through us to the people there in Austin and just in serving Him. And, and in all honesty, we thought that we would be there for the rest of our lives. We loved it. We were serving the Lord. We had such a wonderful time. Now, there were some hardships. There were some difficulties. And, of course, your mind blocks those out, just remembers the things that are good. And we served the Lord there for about three and a half, almost four years, and it some point in that, in that three and a half to four years, I was in my office preparing to preach a message there for Sunday. It was on a Friday. Some men of the church came in and said, we're going to ask you to resign. It was unfounded. It was because uh, one of the reasons because I use an iPad to preach and um, kind of some funny, funny reasons. But they asked me to, to resign or that that's, we're going to take a church vote and we're going to remove you. And so... Our family decided, or I decided, and went and told my family that, well, I guess, I guess we'll resign. Hardest, hardest minutes, which turned to the hardest hours, and turned to the hardest days, turned to the hardest months of our lives. So difficult. 
Uh, unbelievable. We loved the people. We loved those men who sat in my office. We loved their families. We loved all of them. We loved the people of Austin. We were excited to be serving the Lord and, 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 and kind of hit that wall and didn't know why. Kind of hit that moment and we thought, God, we were yours. We were serving you. Why did you now do this to us? We kind of went through some transition over the next couple of months and kind of did some things we thought would just, okay, maybe the Lord was leading this way, maybe the Lord was leading this way. and didn't have, didn't have much leading, just kind of felt lost, just kind of felt, what are we supposed to do here in this time? We had just a couple of months left on a lease and kind of thought, well, that's when our money will run out. We'll kind of just, that's, that's I guess, what we'll have to figure out when that time comes. We didn't know where we were going to go. And um, we had met Will Cover here um, uh, uh, in that time, um, kind of in those months, and, and kind of had met him and, and didn't really think much of it. We were looking to, I had trained for ministry, I was looking to be involved in ministry, and um, they were starting, they were just kind of just a, a month or so into the church at that point, and, and kind of came just to meet him, because someone said, hey, you should go meet him, so I did, and uh, didn't think anything of it really leaving. Um, because there wasn't an opportunity to serve, there wasn't an opportunity to have employment or anything like that. And um, we were sitting about a, two days out from having to leave, having to move. Our lease was ending, and we knew at that point we have to go somewhere. Literally, our plan was maybe we had, our plan was we're either going to drive north to Michigan or west to California, because that's where our families live, and that was the plan at that point. And um, we went and rented the moving truck, and... Um, we started loading our stuff up and just felt like God said, go to Houston. And didn't know why, didn't know how come, didn't know what we were going to do when I got here. I had no job opportunities, no prospects, anything like that. But God said, go to Houston. And so I called Will, uh, Pastor Will, and I, I called him up and I said, hey, if we come with a moving truck tomorrow, do you have somewhere for us? <laughs> and he said, I'll make it happen. He was actually, I think he was in Indiana or something. And um, so we came, and our stuff ended up there in the garage. All of our, we just unloaded our truck right into the garage back there and stored it there for a little while. And I uh, lived in a hotel for, for a, a month or so. And, and then many of you know the story, kind of how things worked out for the next last couple of years of our lives and kind of all of that took place. And that was on top of, we were, um, Anna was pregnant with JJ and just all kinds of things. And, and really just kind of a a time of, of hard decision for us. And then I'll go on from there, uh, about, about nine months ago or so, or almost, almost, almost about a year now, now ago, uh, my brother was having some issues. They weren't sure what it was, what was going on with him and his life. And um, in, his, in his body, he was a CHP Highway Patrol officer there in California, and, and he was having trouble even being able to work. He couldn't walk all of a sudden. He just, I mean, he's younger than I am, was having trouble. And um, something, something with his leg, found out on Christmas Eve that it was cancer, and by um, the middle of March there, he had passed away. Um, that was on top of that. And in, I mean, it was every single day, you, begin, you, just, you just question, and you, you concern yourself with the will of God. And you question, God, why is this happening? God, what is going on? God, what's taking place? God, why are you doing this? God, do you truly love me? God, do you even care? 
God, why are you doing this to us? Why is this other thing happening to them? That was a daily, daily conversation that I would just I would just struggle with. I would have to go on long walks. My wife will tell you I would just go and I would just have to leave the house and just kind of walk away from everything and just go for a walk and just argue with God. Say, God, this doesn't make sense. God, this isn't fair. God, this isn't right. And I know that in that time we were trusting Him. It wasn't in sin or rebellion. We weren't trying to have our own way or do it our own way. We were just simply trusting God. And I really believe, and it's why J.J.'s name is Joseph, that God was putting us through a Joseph time. And if you think about his life, Joseph was just a, a child of God. He acknowledged God. He worshipped God. And God um, um, allowed his brothers to, to imprison him and sell him into slavery, end up in Egypt so far away from home where he was accused of wrongdoing, put into jail. And he went through all of that at the same time, though, acknowledging that God is good. Acknowledging that God has a perfect plan. Acknowledging that God is making the right decision. That God can see the outcome of where this is going to end up. Acknowledging that I am okay in my faith in God. And so I wonder for you this morning, I can't say where you are. I don't know everyone's story and and the decisions and the difficulties right now that you are facing. But can you right now say, in all honesty, I am trusting God? Because if your faith is not in His process, not just that, that, okay, I acknowledge that God is there. Why doesn't God love me? It says, God so loved the world. God should love me. If God loved everyone else, why doesn't God love me? It's not just enough. You have to acknowledge that God loves you to bring you through this. God loves you. But you can't just say, well, then he doesn't love me anymore because, no, that's not how it works. If God loves you, then even he's going to take what you're going through and allow, uh, he's going to allow these things to morph you, to change you more like him. I use the illustration here of Jesus there in the garden. And he says, Father, let this cup pass from me. And there he's wrestled with God. But then he said, God, not my will, but thine be done. And you know what happened to him afterward? He was crucified. That was God's will. That was what God wanted for him. Because he had a wonderful thing to do through that death. A wonderful thing to do through Christ's work on the cross. Something that affected every single one of us. Your decisions this morning, your decisions, the choices that you are making are not, I have to worry about this and I have to worry about this. You have one, one choice. Will I trust God? Will I trust God? By trusting God. It is revealing rather, instead of worry, it is revealing your faith that I know that God has a greater plan for me through this. And that's all God wants from every one of us here today. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for this time here together. Thank you so much for your word. We thank you for Jesus, for the wonderful thing that he did for us. 
and his saving us from our sins and giving us an eternal life in heaven simply because he chose to follow you, to simply chose to have faith, simply chose to die on the cross for our sins. God, I pray for everyone here. I pray that, Lord, each one of us would be filled with faith, trusting your Holy Spirit to guide, to lead, but trusting your will that as long as we follow you, Lord, you're going to work things out according to your perfect will, a perfect plan, and the very best possible thing for us. We don't always know how things are going to take place, how things are going to happen. But God, strengthen our faith in those times. Give us an assurance that you're in control that you're watching over us, that you're providing for us, that you're taking care of every one of our needs, that you are loving on us as we just simply follow you. God, may we all make the single decision that needs to be made and allow the worries and the fears to just fade away as you fill us with your peace and your understanding. I'm going to let the piano play, but it's just a time of prayer here now. I don't know if, if maybe, maybe you've spent some time in prayer, but if God was speaking to you, if God said something to you, and you know it's something you have to deal with Him, then do that now. That's what this time is for. Let's let God work in our hearts.